Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Welcome. We're glad you're with us. If you're watching from home, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We are continuing this morning in our sermon series, Jesus, the long-awaited one. We're walking through the life of Christ, and we're doing it through all four gospels. We're doing it as a teaching team, and so I hope that you've appreciated and been encouraged as some of our other pastors have been preaching over the last several weeks. I'm excited to be back in the pulpit this morning. I'm excited to think again about Jesus, and I'm excited that I hope that you'll be encouraged through this sermon this morning and through this text to to not only realize exactly who Jesus is, but that leads you, that challenges you to be more, to do more, to trust more. So at this point in our study, we're, we're about halfway through, we're looking ahead to Easter, right, and the death, burial, and and eventually the resurrection of Jesus. We're about halfway through right now, and I want to kind of catch you up to speed a little bit on something that's really important that I don't want you to miss, because at this point in our study this morning, some things are going to change. And so we've seen up to this point large crowds following Jesus, right? Last week, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 was an example of that. Really, probably more like 25 or 30,000 when you include the women and all the children. But we've seen up to this point large crowds gathering. They're growing. His popularity is increasing. More and more people are following him, hearing his teaching, being challenged by exactly who he is. And so we see this kind of this growth in his fame, uh, this growth in his popularity. And so from this point forward, that number is just kind of being inching up and up and up and up. But this morning, everything is going to change. Because Jesus is going to make a declaration to these people And then he's going to challenge them with a very, in his words, plain, very clear truth that we need to understand. So let's jump right in this morning. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that I am, right? There's a large, large crowds have gathered, more and more people. Jesus wants to know who the people are saying that he is. And they told him in verse 28, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Now, here's what we're going to learn about Jesus this morning. Several things we're going to see, several truths, but here's the, the first one that's important for us to build on as we move forward through this text. Number one, we see the identity of Jesus, that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, right? Crowds have been gathering, people have been following, 
Jesus has been healing, he's been teaching, he's doing miracles, but he comes to this point where he asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And eventually he asks, who do you say that I am? Now, let me just be very clear. This is a question you have to answer. You have to answer the question, who is Jesus? Now, for centuries, people have debated this. Maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe you've read some of it. And there's all sorts of different camps, groups, opinions. Uh, Most of the people probably in the world, a lot of people in the world will say something like, he was a good teacher, Uh, he was a, a moral person, a good leader, maybe even a prophet, but to claim he's fully God uh, is not true, right? That's not exactly who he was. But I would say to you, Jesus makes it clear here, he makes it crystal clear to his disciples exactly who he is. Peter gets this, the followers get this. C.S. Lewis did something kind of interesting with this several years ago, if you've ever read any C.S. Lewis stuff when he's talking about exactly who Jesus is and and thinking about the deity of Christ and kind of answering this question, was Jesus just a good teacher, a moral leader? C.S. Lewis uses this phrase, liar, lunatic, or Lord. How many have heard that, by the way? How many have read that by C.S. Lewis? A few of you? So here's the argument. C.S. Lewis says that Jesus was one of these three things. Either he was a liar because he claimed to be the Lord, and he wasn't really. So either he's lying about everything, because he was very clear in his declaration of being Messiah. He's a lunatic because he claimed it, and he's just crazy because he clearly wasn't deity. That's the argument that's made. Or he's actually the Lord. But here's the point. There's no place in there for him just to be a good teacher a moral leader, uh, an upstanding citizen in society. Because either he was a lunatic, he was a liar, or he really is Lord. And so Jesus is kind of getting to the bottom of this, right? Jesus wants the disciples to understand exactly who he is because he's going to use this declaration to kind of go to a point here he wants them to get. So he says there in verse 27, who do people say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And he asks him, Who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers him, you are the Christ. Now, this is a clear confession. This is really the first time in the gospel of Mark that Jesus is clearly identified as the Christ, as the Messiah. Now, listen, it's not the only place in Scripture we see it. In fact, you could study a lot of other New Testament texts. John 1, he's the Word of God made flesh. He's fully God. Colossians 1, 15, he's the image of the invisible God. Philippians 2, 5 and following, he's fully God and fully man. But here's what I want you to get. This is important because this is going to lead us to the next portion of this scripture. The Jewish people, Peter was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. The Jewish people had been looking for Messiah. They've been waiting for the Christ. In fact, they'd grown up their entire, entire lives understanding that for generations, people have been looking for Messiah. People have been looking for Christ, right? But they had a misunderstanding, right? They're looking for a political, a powerful, some sort of a military ruler or king. So what Jesus is going to say next is going to really shock them to the core. So look back again at verse 29. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Now listen to what Jesus does now. 
he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them, right? So this is really the kind of the first time they're seeing this. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Now look at verse 32. He said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So we see the identity of Jesus, right? He, he's Christ. He's the Messiah, the long-awaited one. Here's the second thing. I want you to see the purpose of Jesus. His purpose on this earth very, on this earth, very clearly is to suffer and to die and to rise again. Now, he's done a lot of great things, right? He did incredible miracles. He was a great teacher. He was training his disciples all the while, understanding that one day he would be gone, leading the next generation, the next group of leaders. All those things were real and important. But his primary purpose, as he explains it in verse 31, is that he must suffer and die and rise again. Now, just in case his disciples didn't get it, in case they were unsure of exactly what he meant, he says it again in Mark 9, 31. He says it again in Mark 10, 33, right? He explains to them in his words plainly, this is what I've got to do. And his explanation of suffering is very different than what they were expecting. Now, if you've ever read Isaiah 53, if you haven't, you should go back and read it. Isaiah 53, written probably 700 years or so before the birth of Jesus, found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You can go do the research. It's fascinating. The book of Isaiah, chapter 53, walks through this idea of the suffering servant, looking ahead to Jesus, looking to what he was going to sacrifice, looking ahead to the pain and the anguish and the suffering that he was going to endure. One writer explained it like this. The scriptures were explicit that the servant of the Lord experiences rejection and humiliation and death on behalf of the people of God. These several strands of prophecy, speaking back about Isaiah 53, and experiences are drawn together in the, listen, solemn declaration of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things. So there's this moment here. There's this moment where everything's going to change. Large crowds, excitement, we're feeding people, great things are happening, there's a buzz, more and more people want to hear him. We go from that to Jesus saying, listen, just so all y'all know, I'm going to very clearly explain to you that I'm going to go, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to suffer and die and rise again. Now, you can imagine the response of his followers, Peter especially. Right, Peter's been a part of this. Peter loves Jesus. Peter's dedicated in his life to walking with Jesus and learning. And so the Bible says that Peter takes him aside, and maybe in one of the most fascinating verses of Scripture ever, he rebukes him. Could you imagine rebuking Jesus? Can you imagine telling Jesus, no, 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 Jesus, that's not what's really going to happen that's not really where we're going to go. That's not really what we're going to do. We sit here and we laugh and we think Peter is such a fool. How could he ever rebuke Jesus until we think about our own lives? We, we rebuke Jesus all the time, don't we? 
Now, he might not be standing here physically in front of me, but I don't know how many times in my life I've told him no. <laughs> I don't know how many times he's called me to do something I've refused to do. I don't know how many times he's led me to share with somebody I didn't share with or spend time in prayer when I didn't spend time in prayer or to sacrifice something in my life for the sake of his kingdom and I refuse to do it. Man, we're all like Peter, aren't we? It's so easy for us to sit here and, and laugh at Peter and think, how dare you? But this is exactly the way, if we're honest, this is exactly the way so many of us live our lives. But I want you to notice what Jesus does here because I, I, I love how he, he handles this. P Peter's a, a good guy, I think. Puts his foot in his mouth probably a little too often. Peter, Peter loves what Jesus is doing, and so I, I get it. I, I get what Peter's doing here because if I were walking with Jesus and seeing all that stuff, man, and people are being healed and he's doing incredible miracles and feeding and teaching, I would probably never want that in either. It kind of reminds me sometimes we go, on, we go on mission trips, and so many of you have gone with us. Lots and lots coming up this year, by the way, if you want to go. Meeting this afternoon at church about Zambia. But I think about the times that I've been on these trips and, and how the Lord works and the incredible things he'll, he'll do while, while we're there. And I'm like, Peter, I don't want it to end. I, I don't want it to stop. It's hard for me personally to come home sometimes because I'd like to just kind of stay in this moment where the Lord is at work and I, I'm just sensing his presence. And this is what Peter's doing. Lord, I don't, I don't want this to end. I don't want it to go away. There's no way we're going to let you be arrested and killed and suffer. That's not what we're going to do. But I want you to notice the response of Jesus here. For you, he says in the end of verse 33, 33 for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's a totally different perspective. Jesus gets that Peter wants to stay in the moment. He did the same thing when he was transfigured on top of the mountain. He wants to set up some tents and kind of hang out there for a while. Jesus gets that. But what Peter doesn't get is there's a greater purpose. There's a different perspective. Jesus came to fully obey the Father no matter what it cost. I wonder how many times we say no to Jesus because it's going to cost us something. Like, I know, Lord, I need to, I need to go uh, ask forgiveness for this person, but that's just going to be a little too hard for me. I know I've got some bitterness and anger in my heart, but that's just going to be a little too difficult for me. I know you're, you're calling me tomorrow at school to go be Christ-like to that kid that made fun of me last week, but that's just a little too much for me, Lord. I know you're calling me to reach out to that family member I hadn't talked to in years and, and, and maybe pray with them or for them or apologize or share the gospel or whatever, but that's too difficult for me, Lord. Our problem is we have earthly perspective. We miss the calling of eternity and the greater picture that Christ lays out for us. Now, here's what we might be doing. You're like, man, I get it. <laughs> Jesus is gonna do something pretty incredible here. Jesus is about to sacrifice his life. Peter doesn't like it. Jesus is about to suffer. Jesus is about to die. Praise the Lord. Jesus did those things for me. Praise the Lord. Jesus sacrificed and suffered for me. I'm so glad he doesn't call me to do anything crazy like that. Look at verse 34. We're going to lay it right in your laps right here. You ready? You ready? calling the crowd to him <laughs> with his disciples. He said, if anyone 
Say that with me right now. Ready? Anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the Holy Angels. Right? We've seen the identity of Jesus. We've seen his purpose. Now, number three, we see his calling that his followers must deny themselves and follow him. There's this clear calling right there in verse 34. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to miss this. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, right? Everyone anyone. There's this picture here that this message is for all of us. Now, you might be thinking, you know, I wish my wife would listen to this. <laughs> Wives, you might be thinking, I wish my husband would listen to this. You might be thinking, I wish my kids would listen to this. All these things are true, but are you listening to it? If anyone, that's you, would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, right? So we're, we're at this moment where Jesus is moving from this, this idea, this place of low commitment, right? Just kind of show up and listen, watch him teach, do some miracles, eat a little food, celebrate what Jesus is doing. Nice work, Jesus. We love you, man. You're, you're amazing. This place of low commitment to if you're serious about your faith, you're going to set aside all the things in this life that you want. You're going to pick up your cross and you're going to follow me, right? Low commitment to extremely high commitment. He said, like, what, what does it even mean to, to take up our cross and follow him. First, it meant death. Right, the cross in the first century, and this is, this is so interesting to me, the cross in the first century wasn't a piece of decoration. It wasn't a nice piece of jewelry. It wasn't a picture we put in our house. And by the way, those things are all great. I'm not preaching against any of those things. But I think we miss that the cross in the first century was death. It'd be like me putting an electric chair up on the wall. Bizarre. Why would you ever do something like that? Because Jesus wanted to remind them they're dying. They're not just given a little box on Sunday morning. They're not just given a little piece of who they are. They're just getting a little time. They're given everything to Christ. They've got to be willing to die and put the old self to death in all things. David Platt in his book Radical said it like this, will we risk everything, our comfort, our possessions, our safety, our security, our very lives to make the gospel known? It's a great question. It's a great question. Like how in the world can I ever learn to be that radically obedient because Jesus did it? Right? He's not asking us to do anything he didn't do himself. And so we, we come to this place, right? Because I, I can assure you, I know so many of y'all. Many of you have grown up in the church. You're versed in scripture. You've learned, you've studied. I probably hadn't said, to, to most of y'all, I probably haven't said anything this morning you didn't already know. 
The problem, and myself included, I'm not preaching at you, I'm standing here with you. The problem for most believers is we have a ton of head knowledge and not a lot of heart knowledge. Now, we know the answers. The question isn't, do we know? The question is, what are we going to do about it? It's not enough for you just to understand what Christ calls you to do. You got to be willing to do it. And so we're going to move into this time of, of Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes. And we're going to give you, we're, we, we build in some time. We build in some time intentionally, right? We think about this as a team. We, we pray about this. We really work through how can we give you opportunities to think and respond, to be challenged. So we, we build in this time. There's going to be a, a chance here in a few minutes for you to get up and walk and make your way and, and take of the elements and then be seated again. And all the while, we have this chance to sit and to soak and to worship and to reflect. And so there's this opportunity here in just a few minutes for you to think about all the Lord has called you to do, all he's called you to be, to ask yourself, in my life, who is Jesus? And am I willing to take up my cross and die for him? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this clear teaching here in Mark chapter 8. We thank you that Jesus said this plainly to all of the people present, not just his disciples, not just the leaders, but if anyone would come after him, let us deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him. Father, help that verse to rattle around in our brains. Help us to move, maybe, Lord, today from a place of, of low commitment to very high commitment. Help us to understand that calling to be challenged by this word. May you, Lord, receive all the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.